This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We'll be focusing on the words from Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. Actually, you'll hear echoes of that previous song in these verses, as this will be our focus for our sermon this morning. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we ask that you would use your word this morning so that we would live by faith. Show us the way you want us to go. Lead us in that direction and give us the faith to take those next steps. And Lord God, don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Do you need a vacation? Now, sometimes we need a vacation because we need some relaxation. We've been burning the candle at both ends. Uh, we've been working a lot of hours or very busy doing lots of things, and we just need to get away for some relaxation. But sometimes... We need a vacation because we need some inspiration. Our lives have become uh, boring. Uh, we've even shrinking back from our responsibilities. And we haven't been taking those, those necessary steps of faith. And so we need some inspiration. We took one of those inspiring vacations, I don't know, about five, six years ago, uh, when we went out west to the Black Hills. We were going around the corner. I remember coming up around the mountain and all of a sudden out of nowhere is Mount Rushmore. And it was inspiring to see these, these faces sculpted into the mountains and we were inspired by that. 
Uh, not just because of the ingenuity. I mean, the fact that they carved these phases into the mountains, but also what they represented. These, these four men and the pivotal turning points in histories and the risks they were willing to take. I was inspired by those stories. And maybe that's what you need right now. Not just relaxation, but some inspiration. Maybe you find yourself, you're not so as much um, tired but bored, that, that life doesn't seem to have the meaning that it once had, that, that maybe you're, you're just going to your job to clock in for that paycheck when you realize that God is calling you somewhere else. Uh, maybe um, you, you stay silent when there are times that you need to speak up and you stay silent. You're not taking those risks. Maybe you find yourself just kind of blending in and kind of just going with the motions instead of taking that step of faith. And you wonder, as you look around at your life, at the end of the day, you kind of say, is this really what life's all about? Is this what it's all cracked up to be? There's got to be something more. Well, today we're continuing our sermon series on, called Summer Vacations. And, and I want to talk today about the need, especially when you have that kind of summertime to take a break not just to relax, not just for relaxation, but for inspiration, to, to refocus and to rethink about where God might call on you next. And so here's the, the question I want to answer in this sermon. How can I live a more meaningful life? How can I have more meaning in my life, making uh, my life more meaningful? And answer this question, we're going to go back uh, to the letter to the Hebrews. Now, what makes this letter in your Bible so unique compared to the other New Testament books is that this is the, the one book of the Bible in the New Testament that we don't know the author. Uh, we don't know uh, who was writing it, but we do know the audience. He was writing to um, Hebrew people, and we can kind of piece together some of the background as to why he was writing to them. You see, in the first century in the Roman Empire, Judaism was a legal religion. It was one of the few religions outside of kind of the, the Roman religion that was legal. And so there are special protections from the government for the Jews to practice Judaism. But as Christianity started to break off and be something unique from Judaism, uh, it came apparent that the, the Romans realized that this was not the same as Judaism and Christianity was not a legal religion. And so these people were objects of, of persecution. Maybe you've heard about how they were, some of them were, were burned at the stake and some of them were persecuted heavily and thrown into jail and lost their lives. And so the recipients of this letter were starting to shrink back. They were just trying to blend in with their Juda Judaism. They were just kind of going backwards and they were really wondering, is Jesus that unique? Is he worth it? Are we really gaining anything from, from going, moving on from our Jewish past to now really focusing on the fulfillment in Jesus? Is that really worth it? And so if you were to open up your Bible to the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, it begins with kind of a refrain over and over again, looks at all the pieces of the Hebrew faith and says, yes, our Christian faith is based on the Hebrew scriptures and yet Jesus is better. Jesus is a better Moses. 
Jesus is a better Abraham. Jesus is a better temple. He's a better tabernacle. He's a better high priest. He is a better sacrifice than all of the Old Testament sacrifices. Every way, Jesus is better. And because Jesus is better, he's built on the foundation of, the, of Judaism and the Hebrew scriptures, but he's better. Because he's better, don't shrink back. Don't be lukewarm. Take those risks. Be faithful. Be a bold follower of, your, of Jesus. And then we get to Hebrews chapter 11, where you have what's sometimes called the chapter as the hall of fame of the Bible. You know, we have Cooperstown or, or Mount Rushmore. This, book, this chapter, chapter 11 in Hebrews, is the Mount Rushmore of the Bible, where we, we get a, a glance at the heroes of the Bible and what made them different, what made them unique. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole Hall of Fame in the Bible, the whole chapter 11 in Hebrews. And so we're just going to focus on one of those people, Abraham. And this is what it says. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going back to a book of the Bible that these, this Hebrew audience would have really known, the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And this takes place in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Genesis chapter 10 and 11 is the Tower of Babel situation where all the people were scattered after the flood. And now God says, I'm going to start over, start my plans, focusing on the Hebrew people and especially on Abraham. And to start off this story, God tells Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldeans, kind of the Babylonian territory, and move to the land of Canaan. And it says very simply, God said, Abraham, move your family, and go to the land of Canaan. And it says he obeyed and went. Very simple sentence, but it wasn't that simple. You see, today we live in a very mobile society. The fact of the matter is, is right now you could just put your finger on the map somewhere in the United States. And if you really wanted to, you could put your house on the market today. In a few months, you could go move to live in a whole nother place in the United States. And it'd be pretty, I mean, it'd be challenging, but over time, you could, you'd be able to find a job and find a house and find a community and find a church. And in a year's time, you would basically be able to live in that place with relative success. That's not how it was 4,000 years ago. This is 2100 BC in the, Middle, in the Middle East. Your family, your community, where you lived, that was your safety net. That was your insurance policy. That was your life insurance plan. That was your army. That was your protection. That was your source of identity. That was your grocery store. That was your everything. I mean, this, the, the, the community and your family was everything. It's who you were. It's how you survived. And God was telling Abraham, leave all that security, leave all that and go to a totally different place. And it says he obeyed and he went. And then we learn more about that in verse nine. He says, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. So Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed and he went. And when he got to Canaan, it wasn't like there was a house on the market for him to, to purchase right away or somewhere to live. It says that he lived in tents. 
And he lived like camping, not just his generation, but the next two generations. Actually, 300 years, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all lived in tents. Now, I don't know. I like camping as much as the next person, right? I, you know, I love being out in the woods and, and cooking a meal over the campfire and having some s'mores and singing some, uh, some campfire songs and going hiking, all that stuff. But about day four, I'm ready to go home. They lived like this for 300 years. From 2100 B.C. to about 1800 B.C., they were living as nomads with no real home, no real land. Now, how could they do that? How could they leave the comforts of Ur, of the Chaldeans, and go to live in Canaan and be these nomads for 300 years? How could they do it? Well, you have this refrain in chapter 11 that, that over and over again, the refrain is, they did it all by faith. They did it all by faith. And the Bible um, explains what faith is. You know, sometimes we throw around that word faith. You know, we maybe put it as a decoration piece over the mantle by faith, or we live by faith, or whatever that is, or, or put it out as a magnet on our refrigerator, or have it on our shirt or something. And, and we throw around the word faith quite a bit. But what is faith? What exactly is it? Well, in the opening verse of this chapter, the writer defines faith. He says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients, like Abraham, were commended for. So faith is not just some kind of wish or idea. Faith is assurance. It's confidence. It's conviction. So you have this, this rock-solid foundational conviction. You're totally convinced of something you do not see, at least not yet. You have this confidence, this conviction of this vision of the future of this promise of the future, of something that you don't have a grasp on yet, something you can't see yet. Well, what was that thing that Abraham didn't have a grasp on yet, that he had confidence in, this promise that he had from God? It was this. He was, verse 10, for he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. See, the reason he could live like an extended camping trip in tents is because he was waiting a city. Uh, what we believe as Christians is that God is coming back and he's going to renew the world. Uh, the hope of the Christian faith is not to float up on clouds somewhere. That's not heaven. Uh, the Bible speaks about a renewed world, that God is going to make all things new. He's going to renew all things. And so what we're longing for, what our faith is in, is that God is going to resurrect our bodies and resurrect our world. And that faith and that future vision of the, what the world is going to be informs how we live today and informs how we look at the world today. So that's what they were hoping for. That's what they were looking for. And the writer goes into much de more detail about what their faith was in and that, that, that promise that they were looking forward to in verse 13. It says this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. 
admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They were not too attached to the good and the bad here right now in this world as it is right now because they had a vision of something even more substantial. They could see things out in the future and they welcomed them and lived according to those things right now in the present. Well, what was that vision? What is that like? Well, it reminds me of a story in Deuteronomy where after Moses led God's people out of Egyptian slavery and they're about to enter the promised land, Moses was not permitted to go in. And so God took Moses up on the mountain and he gave him a vision of the promised land. And and that's what Abraham had. Abraham had a way of, he had a, a vision of the future. It was like going up on the mountain and having a vision of what life is going to be like, about the world to come. And because he had such an intense belief in the life of the world to come, he was of some use right now in this world. He lived by faith. And that kept him moving forward instead of going backward. Uh, This is what it says in verse 14. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So he had such an intense faith, a vision of the future, that when things got hard, he didn't go backwards. Here's what sometimes can happen. You know, you you have this faith, you're walking with the Lord, you have this vision of the life of the world to come. And if your, your vision isn't clear, it's easy to go back. It's easy to to throw in the towel and just go back to the way things were, to keep your eyes focused on the past, which you can't grab onto the past. We can try to live in the past. But it says here that Abraham had such a strong vision for the future, a heavenly future, a renewed world, that he didn't try to go back when things got hard. He didn't go back to Ur of the Chaldeans because he kept his vision on what was to come. And that helps us answer our question, our opening question. How can I live a more meaningful life? Live by faith in the world to come. Keep your eyes fixed on what God has promised us, on where our life is headed, on the direction of where this world is headed, our resurrected body, our resurrected world. And that informs how we live right now, not looking backwards, Not getting overwhelmed, but keeping our eyes fixed on the future. And that leads us to live lives of courage, of taking risks, of living lives that that have meaning and purpose, eternal purposes, not just in the moment and definitely not looking in the review mirror. It makes me think of the story of Terry Schultz. Now, Terry Schultz is a missionary who he preached here about three, four weeks ago. Maybe some of you were here for his sermon. Now, he didn't mention this in, the, in his sermon, so I'll tell you his story. Uh, Terry Schultz, and I asked his permission if I could tell you this, but Terry Schultz, when he was, was younger, he was playing in a, some pretty big bands in Las Vegas. He's a drummer. And he got to a certain level where they offered him full-time work 
in Las Vegas as a musician. And for, uh, for an artist, for a musician, that's like the top. Lots of times artists are doing this on the side. You know, they're playing, playing you know, kind of just a supplement. That's their side hustle, right? Not something that you can be totally devoted to and not get the kind of re- recognition and the money and the acclaim that he was getting. And he had that opportunity. And it was at that time he had these existential questions. Is this what life's all about? Am I just here to live for myself or live for the crowd? Is it, is it just about playing music in Las Vegas? Is, is this what life is really all about? At the end of my life, he said, do I really want to just be known as some drummer in a band? Is that what I want to do? So at this time, he met his wife, Mary, and, and she started directing his life to a bigger vision based on the gospel, based on Jesus Christ, on a bigger story, on something more meaningful. And so he went back to seminary. Uh, he went to Bethany Lutheran Seminary, and they did something that they've never done before. They dropped Terry basically in the middle of the Peruvian jungle <laughs> to an unreached people group. Uh, they, he tells stories, I interviewed him a few months ago, they tell stories of, of being kind of basically on the river into the jungle. And some of these people have never seen, haven't seen civilization in literally hundreds of years. And they told stories that when the settlers came here hundreds of years earlier, they came to steal their children for the mines. And so when they saw Terry coming into the middle of the jungle, the mothers grabbed their children and ran deeper into the jungle. Well, that's who Terry ministered to for many years. And he brought the gospel to them. And, and you wonder like, well, how could he do that? How could Terry Schultz leave this stable job of playing in a big name bands in Las Vegas and having all this acclaim and recognition and going to the middle of the jungle to preach the gospel? Well, because Terry had a bigger vision about what this is all about. He lived not just for the right now, but he lived for the life of the world to come. He had faith in what God promised. And that was That led him to live a life of more meaning. It led him to live a life of of risk. It led him to make bigger decisions. It led him to live a life of faith. I talked to him a couple days ago to ask him if I could uh, tell tell you his story. And then he, he reminded me of something else that's been going on, that how his life has gone full circle. He's a member here at this church, but you don't see him very often. Because right now, as a semi-retired missionary, he flies all over the world to Africa, to Asia, to South America, meeting with, with people groups to help them translate the Christian music into their, their rhythms. He's using his, his rhythm gift of, of, of being a, a musician and helping translate the Christian music into the rhythms of their culture. He can't believe this, but he says, you know, I just took one step by faith and now God has Use it all for his purposes. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear stories about Abraham leaving his family and his, his land and moving to land of Canaan, I hear about the stories of, of all the other heroes of faith, of Moses and, and David and many others, and I hear the story of Terry, I'm inspired. I'm also scared out of my mind. <laughs> You know, I'm inspired. I you know, want to make my life more meaningful, want to do things and, and take the calculator risk that, that God is asking me to take and to follow his calling. But I'm also scared and confused. What does that mean? Or what, what steps do I need to take? And, and can I really do that? And if that's how you feel, well, that's how we need to go to the next chapter in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, where the, the image kind of changes. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of, again, the Mount Rushmore, the Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame. And we're just to look and walk, kind of walk through this Hall of Fame and be inspired by all these people who live by faith. But then you get to chapter 12 and the image changes. Now we're not in a Hall of Fame. Now we're in a stadium, a track stadium. And, and you're on the blocks. And you look out into the crowds and the stadium is filled with all of these people from chapter 11. The hall, the whole hall of fame is in the crowd and they're cheering you on. And there's up there also those coaches who have inspired you and, and I mean that uh, pastor or teacher or, or family member that that's cheering you on that, that whole host of witnesses. And we're going to hear that there's somebody at the finish line, somebody at the finish line that you're supposed to keep your eyes fixed on the finish line, not on somebody else's race, but you're supposed to keep your eyes fixed on the finish line because there's somebody there at the finish line. Let me read to you what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, based on everything I've said in chapter 11 about the hall of fame, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we're in the stadium and we're surrounded by all these people who are cheering us on. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on that finish line. On who? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. And so remember who's hearing this originally. So the writer of the Hebrews is speaking to these Jewish Christians who are tempted to shrink back. And he's saying, no, run your race. And keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because he ran that race first. His race was dying the cross for all of your sins and being raised to life. And he's finished his race and now he's at the finish line and he's telling you to run your race, to not give up, to not call it quits, to not forfeit, but to get on the blocks and to run your race. And by extension, that message is also for us. For all of us who are tempted to just blend in to just shrink back, to just live a life of just resignation. He's telling us to run the race Jesus marked out for you. To run that race, keeping your eyes fixed on the finish line because Jesus has already run the race. He started it, he's finished it, and now he's calling you to run that race. And notice, he's saying, run your race. Fix your eyes on Jesus, not on the lane next to you. Run your race. Uh, for, for Abraham, the race was to leave his people and to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go to Canaan. For Moses, it was to lead the nation out of um, Egyptian slavery. For David, it is to lead the people of God, to fight Goliath and to lead the people of God against the Philistines and establish Jerusalem. For Jesus, it was to die on the cross and be raised to life. These were, and for Terry Schultz, it was to leave Las Vegas and go to the Peruvian jungle. That's what their race was. Your race is going to be different. You don't have to run somebody else's race. 
You don't have to do what somebody else did. You don't have to run in somebody else's lane. You run your race, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's the challenge. I can't tell you necessarily what your race is. Uh, The way we figure out what our race is, is we walk by faith. We run by faith, moment by moment by moment with the the Christian family around us, the the family of believers, with other Christians who are encouraging us and helping us through prayer, through taking one step, through knocking on one door. When one door is closed, we we open up another one. We, We walk every day by faith and we just run our race by faith. We let the Spirit guide us. We let God's Word guide us and we run our race. And the summertime is the perfect time to figure this out. For many of us, it's a time of relaxation, a time that kind of changes our normal routine. But it's also a time for some inspiration. It's time to to read Hebrews chapter 11, to be inspired by those great uh, heroes of faith. But it's also time to figure out what our race is. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, live by faith, not in yourself, not in your past, live by faith in Jesus and his promises of the life to come and run the race that Jesus has marked out for you. Amen. I want to close with a prayer and usually I just have an escort a prayer, but I want to read to you actually how the letter to the Hebrews ends. It ends with a prayer, kind of summing up all these things. So I'm going to read to you. Uh, This will be our closing prayer. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.